This series comes with a content note for anyone who has been through abuse or knows someone who has. Statistically, that is a lot of us. Some of what you'll hear in this podcast is distressing. Although we know it's important to hear directly from victim survivors about what they've been through, this content may be confronting and won't be suitable for everyone. Please check the show notes for phone numbers you can contact to receive confidential support. There's No Place Like Home is a Future Women podcast in collaboration with our proud partner, Commonwealth Bank, supporting long-term financial independence for victim survivors through ComBank Next Chapter. We acknowledge that we produce this series on what always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. We've established that message now, I think, as an Australian society, that violence against women is just not okay. And that now we can actually start to diversify the message to say, don't forget there are other victims. Domestic violence cases have surged in Sydney. A husband accused of stabbing his wife. In a shocking domestic violence attack. Domestic violence is a national crisis. We've had an absolute tragedy occur here tonight. My name is Tharang Jafla. I'm a writer, lawyer and anti-violence advocate. And I'm also the host of There's No Place Like Home, a podcast about family violence that puts the voices of survivors at the centre of the story. Thanks to the advocacy and work of countless individuals, Australia's finally facing up to the scourge of family violence. But the community and media attention has not been equally distributed. Many survivors still feel that their experiences are not visible. Today, on There's No Place Like Home, we explore the stigma towards the LGBTQIA community and how it compounds and at times facilitates domestic abuse and violence. Trans and gender diverse people experience a significant amount of discrimination and stigma and violence in our society. And that can come from like verbal or physical abuse, uh, direct experiences or indirect experiences of discrimination. And because of the stigma and shame, trans women were more likely to be seen as objects by men. And that leads to being sometimes in incredibly dangerous situations or situations where they don't have power. You know, there's a loss of sort of like power and respect. Star Lady is a trans woman and the program manager at Zoe Bell Gender Collective, which was founded to improve the health and well-being of trans and gender diverse people. She explains the kind of community isolation those in the queer community and trans individuals in particular can face. In Australia, trans people continue to be subjected to stigma and ostracisation. 49% of trans women and 55% of trans men have reported harassment or abuse in the previous 12 months. Christian Reyes is a queer domestic and family violence primary prevention educator based in Sydney. He says that you can't divorce the experience of domestic abuse and violence in queer relationships from the ongoing discrimination against the queer community in the mainstream. I firstly don't think you can talk about 
current social conditions without rooting it in a history of violence, you know, against LGBTIQA plus people. I think the legacy of violence towards queer people still lives on, you know, the targeting of queer identities and queer spaces where queer people gather and meet each other. And so when we talk about social conditions, really acknowledging the legacy of that history of state-based and system-based violence towards queer people. Someone who knows this all too well is Jex. Jex is a trans man who presented as female when he first met his partner, Georgia, more than a decade ago. Georgia, which of course is not her real name, was controlling, as well as physically and financially abusive. We met through church. (laughs) So I grew up in um, the church. So did she. And her family were all church pastors and I was a church leader and, and would often break up with me and in the early stages would break up with me and then get back together with me and then get break up with me and get back together with me. I was only 20 and still hadn't come out, so to speak, and still hadn't come out as a trans person. And so my ego was pretty shaky and I was an easy target because I'm a the sort of person who just wants people to be happy. Coming out as trans can be challenging for anyone, let alone Jex, who was emotionally connected to a conservative church community and he feared that they would reject him. The constant anxiety that Jex faced about possible rejection ultimately made him draw closer to Georgia and come to depend on her even more. She had a one-year-old at the time He's now an adult, but at that time, he was one, maybe two. Of course, in addition to all of the just us stuff was that the church had started realising that we were not straight. And they, you know, one pastor sent out a letter saying that we were pedophiles, or it was me in particular, and we were going to abuse the kids in the church. We were trying to recruit them. We had people spit on us and got punched in the face once in an event. So it was very difficult. Community is important to all of us. The people and support networks that we rely on give us a sense of friendship, of love, and often a feeling of safety. For Jex, losing the community that he had relied on for so long because of his gender identity rocked his sense of the world and his place within it. That was my whole life. So I lost all my school friends and I lost all my church friends. In order to be myself, I was going to lose everything. And what that does is it it then creates this scenario where you feel like that relationship's all you've got, but also that you've got to prove that gay people aren't bad by staying in a relationship because it's going to prove that gay people are equal. On Wednesday, 15th November, 2017, Australia changed forever. And now the official results of the Australian Marriage Law Postal Survey. Yes responses, 7 million, 817,000, Overwhelmingly, Australians voted in favour of marriage equality. But that victory came at a cost. The queer community described the plebiscite, a voluntary postal vote to gauge the national mood 
ahead of a parliamentary vote as feeling emotionally brutal. And while marriage equality was a momentous achievement, one changed law cannot and did not end discrimination against LGBTQIA Australians. A lifetime of stigma and ostracization shifts one's expectations about how you'll be treated. Perhaps that's why queer people are significantly less likely to report an experience of family violence or domestic abuse to law enforcement. Her type of violence was psychological. So she would often stand over me for hours saying, you just don't know, you're crazy, you're crazy. You just don't know, you don't remember, you're a bad person. Nobody likes you. And she'd do this for hours and hours. And being that I'm a non-violent person and a non-yelling person, I would just sit there and I didn't know how to get out of that situation. The government's fourth national action plan to reduce violence against women and their children recognises the experience of abuse in the queer community. It says that the impact of family violence is actually compounded by the discrimination and the stigma queer people have been subjected to. Research from Australia and internationally shows that there are a number of common behaviours displayed in abusive queer relationships. These include things like denigrating someone's sexuality or their gender identity to create fear and confusion or isolating a victim from potential sources of support. So things like outing as a method of control, so that could be outing someone's sexuality, but also outing someone's gender in spaces in which they're not out. It could be misgendering and deadnaming somebody. That could be in a public or a private sphere. Deadnaming, mentioned there by Christian Reyes, means using a trans person's previous name, the name that they used before they came out as trans. It's a hurtful way of invalidating their identity. That's also a tactic of abuse that we see. We also see things like non-monogamy and relationship dynamics and structures and agreements being used as a tool of power and control over a victim-survivor from queer communities. The amount of time that someone has been out can also pose a relationship dynamic in which one person has more power than the other. Their experiences in queer relationships, whether or not it's their first relationship, that can also play into a dynamic of abuse. The data is contested in this space, but broadly suggests that people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex, non-binary or queer experience intimate partner violence at around the same rate as the heterosexual population. One startling Victorian study in 2008 found that one-third of queer respondents had been involved in a same-sex relationship where they were subjected to abuse by their partner. 78% of the abuse was psychological and 58% involved physical abuse. Transgender women in particular are at greater risk of hate crimes and sexual assault than others in the LGBTIQ plus community. About four years ago, I had an infection in my um, brain. And so I was off work for six months because I was in and out of hospital and all the delightful things. 
and I rang Centrelink because I needed to get um, sickness benefit. They said, oh, you're already getting a payment. And obviously I wasn't. <laughs> I had been working full time and managing programs. There's no way I would be eligible for a Centrelink payment. And so they investigated it and found that she'd been stealing for, must have been about six years. She'd been getting payments in my name. Financial abuse is about control. Whether it's perpetrated by restricting a victim's access to money, stealing from them, or preventing them from working, the outcome is the same. These are manipulative tactics that are used to demean and intimidate the victim and increase the power of an abuser. Claire Dawson is a project manager at the Commonwealth Bank's Next Chapter program, which helps victim survivors achieve long-term financial independence. We have a, a research partnership with the University of New South Wales and late last year we released some research looking at the impact of financial abuse across uh, different cultural contexts. What we do know is factors like shame, isolation from families, support systems and language barriers can really make it so much harder for someone to seek help. Unfortunately, there just is not enough known about domestic violence in the queer community. Because not enough is known, that can also make it really hard to design services and provide the right support to people who need it. Context is critical, given that the LGBTQIA community are more likely to experience financial problems. A 2018 survey found that 62% of the queer community has experienced housing, wage discrimination, or a lack of career advancement because of their gender identity or sexual orientation. Christian Reyes says the way we understand domestic violence is a problem in the queer context. The assumption that abuse is generally perpetrated by a man against his female partner ignores and undermines the experience of those victims who don't fit the stereotype. What we see in terms of intimate partner violence is because of the heterosexual framework in which we understand domestic violence. It means that a lot of the time police aren't equipped with the knowledge and skills to actually competently assess who's the primary or the predominant aggressor in a relationship. The first time she hit me, she picked up the house phone and just grabbed it and whacked me across the chest and the face with it. Because as a man, I experienced domestic violence perpetrated by a woman. But that is incredibly rare. The most common victims, well, the most common are actually trans people, but women and trans people are the most common victims. And we think it's still early days in terms of data, but we think that the stats are not dissimilar in lesbian, gay, and other queer relationships to that of women. Most support services are not set up to meet the particular needs of queer survivors either. And there are few services available to keep male victim survivors safe or to support women perpetrators in changing their behaviour. This is something that Russ Vickery knows all too well. Russ is the LGBTIQ representative on the Victorian government's Victim Survivors Advisory Council which gives survivors a say on law reform. The man who abused Russ was his first intimate male partner. 16 years ago, their relationship became coercive, controlling, and then physically abusive. And Russ reached out for help. 
I made contact to a mainstream organisation. I was sitting on a chair after being released from hospital with a cracked skull, phoned an organisation who basically said, we don't have the capacity to deal with somebody with your lifestyle. End of story. Instead of support, I got homophobia. That's what I got. And hung up that phone. And from that day to this, I have never utilised a service for anything. Because I didn't get the assistance, I went back into that relationship. I endured that torture for another two and a half years. And at one point decided that taking my life was the best thing that I could do because that was the only way that I could get out of it. Systems are generally built to service the majority with insufficient care for the minority. Those whose particular needs don't fit into a neat little box are left languishing. So 15 years later, and I still haven't utilised the service for anything. The other thing that I think is really important is I was a man with children single dad. There was not a single question asked of me because the assumption was I was a gay man, therefore I didn't have kids. So we didn't need to worry about asking that question of you to make sure that your kids were okay. There weren't any services. They didn't exist. So we're talking 12-ish years ago. The only organisation I could think of, and I work in the sector so I know everybody, was Acon, and they only had a program for gay men who were victims of domestic violence. Here's Star Lady again, who you heard from at the outset of this episode. Trans women don't necessarily feel safe or are sometimes not welcome in accessing gender-based services. And sometimes those services would perpetrate exactly the same types of violence that men would perpetrate against trans women. In our society, people are often asking trans people, like on the street, have you had the surgery? And when we're asking that question, we're asking people about their private body parts, which could be considered sexual harassment. And so services in their inquiries around or their demands around what trans bodies look like to see whether they are, are able to access that service or not is also sexual assault. Star Lady who speaks from a trans woman's perspective, explains a painful irony. The queer people who are excluded from some family violence services may actually be among those most in need. You are more unsafe because you have, oh, you know, you're more likely to experience gender-based violence on the street because of your visibility, but then you're rejected because of your visibility from the services that are meant to be helping you. It's about power and control. And men know that trans women are vulnerable. You are less likely to be able to go to the police. You're less likely to be, you know, believed. You're less likely to be able to access the services that are there to support you. And perpetrators are aware of this. They know this. And so they prey upon trans women knowing that. And so we really have to, you know, up the levels of support for trans people in accessing services to ensure that they are safe. And she got angry at me about something and she got on top of me and I was lying on the bed and she got on top of me and sat on me until probably about six hours. So till four in the morning, that bit I always remember. And for that entire period, just kept telling me I was crazy and it didn't work. And I just kept saying this, that's it, I'm done. 
I'm done. I'm not, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And I kicked her out that night. And obviously it was a journey from there, but um, that was the moment. And it took 10 years from the point of being together to the point of breaking up. Sexual coercion amongst the queer community and especially gay men has long been regarded with suspicion by the broader community. There's a dominant assumption and one that's perpetuated by media that men are always up for sex all of the time. This makes it much harder for gay men to speak up about sexual crimes committed against them, leading to underreporting and an absence of clear data around gay men's experiences of sexual violence. Perhaps that's part of the reason why lesbian women are more likely to report having been in an abusive same-sex relationship. You've heard from Moo Balch before. She's the Director of Primary Prevention at the Women and Girls Emergency Centre. Moo is a violence prevention and gender equality specialist who's been a critical advisor on this podcast and advises on ComBank's Next Chapter program. Moo is queer herself and managed the Domestic and Family Violence Project at ACON, formerly the AIDS Council of New South Wales, a decade ago. She says the design of Australia's family violence support service system is flawed. We have a large number of religious organisations that are funded to provide support and so for a whole range of reasons that's never going to be the right place for, you know, somebody queer, somebody who's in a relationship with a trans person, somebody who comes from a community where they have negative experiences with police and authorities and those sorts of things, somebody whose mum or sister or grandma was taken away and put in a religious institution um, and removed from their family, for example. All of that kind of really recent history in Australia means that the system that we have is set up to provide services that should be offered across a range of different places but are often just offered particularly in rural and regional areas by one service you've got one choice you have to walk through that door and that's your only option in many places you will be treated the same and you will have respect and you will be acknowledged as a victim of domestic violence as with anybody else but there is always a risk there is always a danger in outing yourself There's always a danger of not being taken seriously. According to Victoria's peak domestic violence body, Safe and Equal, mainstream supports are viewed as at best ignorant and at worst hostile to the needs of the queer community. Victim survivors also include the courts as being amongst those institutions which fail to be sufficiently inclusive or understanding of the queer experience. Victoria's 2016 Royal Commission into Family Violence found particular challenges confronting LGBTIQA plus people in relation to family violence court proceedings. These included being treated less seriously than heterosexual people, having to explain their sexual preference or their gender identity to the court, and having to deal with limited understanding by some judiciary members about queer relationships and identities. She used my status as a trans person to try and stop me being able to see my kids. In the first court hearing, she told the court that as a trans person, I don't exist under the law, therefore I don't have any rights. And we initially had a really good judge, but then we got sent to a psychiatrist 
and she was transphobic. So she just didn't believe a word that we said. She called me she throughout my appointment and I looked as you see me now with a full beard and everything. She called me she the whole time when I challenged her on it. She said, well, that's the way you were born. She refused to believe anything I told her. In his advocacy work, Russ Vickery argues that gender inequality results from the social mores of our society. Social mores that Russ says award men's rights and interests greater status than women's. He says that in order to stamp out domestic abuse and violence, Australians need to challenge the binary and unequal way that we think about gender. The drivers of family violence inside the LGBTIQ community are are very similar to the drivers inside men's violence against women, which is heteronormativity, patriarchy. Yeah, they're all the drivers that create this violence within our communities and they are the same drivers that create men's violence against women, gender-based violence. Jex and Georgia were both members of the church community. That his church had rejected him was terribly painful for Jex and Georgia was able to use this trauma to manipulate him. She would often say to me that um, God was telling her things about me, that God had told her that whatever it might be. I remember one of them was that God had told her that my dad had sexually abused me, which she had not done. But it's just little seeds of those things, and they start small, but it's that process of gaslighting you so that you start doubting your truth. Jex was pushed to the point of doubting his own experience. And this has parallels with what happened to Russ. Russ says that the violence he was subjected to and a desire to prove his same-sex relationship was valid were a potent combination. He was also vulnerable for another reason. It was his first gay relationship. I left a heterosexual marriage and went into a homosexual relationship. Now, whilst I'm going through that, one of the things in the back of my mind was I have to make this relationship work. I've come out. I now have to make the good, bad or otherwise, I have made my bed and I have to lie in it now. What a terrible situation to be in. And I know, I know that there will be women out there that will relate to this. Jex and Russ's experiences speak to an important factor that impacts all LGBTQIA people and their relationships. It's been dubbed minority stress, the stress of existing as a queer person. And it can stem from your experience of coming to terms with your own identity and of that identity being stigmatised, debated, invalidated and dissected like what happened during the marriage debate, as well as from both interpersonal and systemic discrimination. We all live in a state of minority stress from the conditions in which we find ourselves, the state-based attacks, the moral panic and fear of queer identities in the public arena. Research body Anne Rose, the Australian National Research Organisation for Women's Safety, notes that while minority stress doesn't cause domestic abuse or violence, that it is a factor for both perpetrators and survivors. The data also tells us that members of the community experience poorer mental health outcomes 
and are more likely to be suicidal. In fact, 35% of transgender adults have tried to take their own life. This is the bedrock of trauma that left Jex, like so many others, feeling more vulnerable than a cisgendered person in a heterosexual relationship, which is left unquestioned by family, friends and wider society. My greatest grief is around that lack of justice. It's not the justice for me. Yeah, that sucks, but... And I want people to believe me because my ex is a church pastor and there are all these people being victimised. They don't realise they're being victimised because she's extremely charming. There's nothing I can do to protect my kids and that's the thing that really gets to me the most. Let's hear from Star Lady again, speaking specifically to the experience of trans women. Trans women deserve to be loved. We deserve to be respected. We deserve to be able to have access to healthy and respectful and visible relationships. But often the weight of changing that falls on trans women. And I think this is where we need men to step up. But we also need to society to step up because it's actually society's responsibility to change our culture and to change the stigma and discrimination and to give greater visibility to the relationships between cis men and trans women. Trans women actually can't change that by ourselves. We need, you know, to that's a societal issue. And, you know, until our society takes responsibility for that, trans women will continue to experience incredibly high rates of sexual assault, intimate partner violence, and to continue to be, you know, marginalised and not have access to the healthy relationships that other women in our society may have access to. I think as an Australian society, that violence against women is just not okay. And that now we can actually start to diversify the message. Don't forget there are other victims. And it's not to say we want to forget women, because I think that needs to be the primary message. But the GLBTQ people experience domestic violence. And just because they experience domestic violence doesn't mean that GLBTQ relationships are lesser than. Australia's come a long way when it comes to the inclusion and equal rights of the queer community. But there's still work to be done. Our challenge in terms of family violence and domestic abuse is to look beyond the gender binary and ensure that our policy solutions address all kinds of relationships. The work of people like Star Lady and Russ Vickery provides enormous hope for the future. In the next episode of There's No Place Like Home, what happens when you don't want your perpetrator to go to jail? We look at restorative justice and the survivor-centric scheme that could help more survivors heal from abuse on their own terms. We still want people to be accountable. We still want harms to be repaired. But we also want to understand what's driving that behaviour that caused people to harm. And we want to be able to put the supports in place so that that harm doesn't have to keep occurring. Everybody can be supported. See you next time. There's No Place Like Home is a Future Women podcast in collaboration with our proud partner, Commonwealth Bank, who are committed to helping end financial abuse through ComBank Next Chapter. No matter who you bank with, if you are worried about your finances because of domestic and family violence, 
you can contact Combank's Next Chapter team on 1-800-222-387 within Australia or visit combank.com.au slash nextchapter. If you need help or advice, please check the show notes for phone numbers for confidential support. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. It will help these important stories to reach more people's ears. For more information about There's No Place Like Home or to join the movement, please head to futurewomen.com. This episode was produced by Jamila Rizvi, Sally Spicer, Tarang Chawla, Fleur Bitcon, Ella Jackson, Ruby Leigh Gatfield, India Bailey and Kate Lever. Editing by Bad Producer Productions. Artwork by Patty Andrews.